0: You're listening to episode eight of the Practice Brave Podcast. Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I get to interview my friend, Sally Sorel. She is a pelvic physical therapist and she practices out of New Jersey and New York. She is also the founder of the Endometriosis Summit, and endometriosis is what we're going to be talking about today because March is Endometriosis Awareness Month, and it's a conversation that we need a lot more exposure around, and I'm really excited to bring Sally in to to dive a little bit deeper into this to help support people that are managing this and just bring more awareness to some of the symptoms that a lot of people are experiencing. So Sally, thank you for being with us today and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thanks for having me. Let's see, I started in my teens and 20s having period pain and mostly having IBS-like symptoms during my period, but I thought it was totally normal. Until then I turned 35 and couldn't function and I was finally diagnosed 23 years later with Endometriosis. So I thought I'm a pelvic physical therapist and no one diagnosed me. There must be some issues out there in endometriosis. And I found in my pelvic health practice to deal uh, primarily with endometriosis and its associated disorders, things like interstitial cystitis or hernia, and helping people get back to the life they want to lead. What I didn't know was I uncovered that the average person takes eight to 10 years to diagnose their endometriosis. And it's a battle for them to get care, to get the proper care and to heal. So once I noticed all that, I founded the Endometriosis Summit with Dr. Andrea Vidali. And we are now the largest patient and practitioner based endometriosis conference in the United
0: States. That's so amazing. And I love what you've been able to do to create just more awareness and support and advocacy. It's become so apparent, everything that you do. I've only known you for a short amount of time, but I'm really, I mean, I've already learned so much from you and what you're doing. And I imagine so many people are benefiting.
1: Yeah. It's a a job I wish I didn't have because every day wish I didn't have endometriosis, but now that I'm in the position where I can help others, I definitely use everything I have to make sure no person misses out on school, career, social participation, or motherhood because of pain and painful periods.
0: I love that. I think that's, that summarizes it so well. So, Can you just give us whatever overview you can of what exactly is endometriosis?
1: So endometriosis is when tissue similar to, but not the same as the lining of the uterus is found elsewhere in the body. And I make that really clear that it's not endometrium or lining of the uterus. It's tissue that under a microscope looks the same, but it actually isn't the same. Because we believe that endometriosis, while hormonally reactive from your period, has very little to do with your period it emerges in your body, it actually is laid down embryologically. And then it emerges as you become hormonally reactive. So we know that lots of people can have endometriosis even without periods. And that's why it's so important to diagnose early and to recognize that endometriosis causes lots of problems in lots of areas of the body, but has very little to do with the uterus because so many think I have cramps, well, then I need a hysterectomy. And hysterectomy does not help endometriosis because by definition, it's outside of the uterus, endometriosis. It's it's not something driven by blood or driven by the uter- uterus in any way whatsoever.
0: So that's really interesting because I feel like there must be so many different misconceptions out there that we're seeing in a lot of different communities, medical, physical therapy, uh, coaching communities, and just our education as people, right?
1: Yeah. The biggest misconception is that Samson theory or the theory of retrograde menstruation is still true. So that theory says that there's a backflow of blood through the fallopian tube and then that blood flows everywhere and that's how endometriosis is caused. That's called retrograde menstruation. Except that we know retrograde menstruation is not the cause of endometriosis because when people stop their periods, they still have endometriosis pain. They still have, if you have bowel endometriosis, stopping your period is going to do nothing for your pain. The other thing is that we know that almost every person that menstruates has retrograde menstruation, but one in 10 have endometriosis. So it can't really be caused by retrograde menstruation. And then the last thing is that there are people born without uterus that still have endometriosis and they have no blood to backflow through the tube. So we really believe that it's laid down embryologically. And the problem is that everybody thinks that it's driven by your period. So if it's driven by your period, stop the period, except that stopping the period is very tough on the body on bone development we're going to talk all about that later but and it can be brutal on emotional psychological status on physical status not just weight gain but hair loss and also stopping the periods can lead to neurodegenerative disorders like parkinsons and alzheimers not to mention bone loss and broken bones and it's not even solving the source of the problem Or fixing the pain because most people still have pain even if they're on those drugs. And then the worst part is this myth of retrograde menstruation says when you're done having children, that's if you can have a child, you might as well just get rid of your uterus. Your uterus is not there just to be a baby maker, it serves as a support system to your pelvic floor. It has a lot of um, involvement in hormones and in weight management. And unless your uterus is diseased, And you make a choice to take it out. So it may be diseased with something called adenomyosis, or you may have fibroids. You may make a choice to take it out. But endometriosis is not connected to your uterus. And I don't really want to see patients who say, oh, I had that endometriosis. I had a hysterectomy, but I still have pain. That's not what I don't want to see 20-year-olds told to have hysterectomies. I don't want to see... You know, people in their forties, I was done having children, so I just took it out. It's not there just to be a baby maker. And we want to really treat the source of the pain.
0: Wow. I'm already learning so much. <laughs> so thank you. What are some symptoms that people have? How would they even know that they have endometriosis? Like what what are some of the symptoms and things to be aware of?
1: Pelvic pain, especially pain and cramping during your period. That keeps you from living your life is a huge symptom of endometriosis. What people don't know though is so is back pain, painful sex, so is also all your IBS like symptoms because endometriosis loves to be on the bowel. Constipation and diarrhea are both endometriosis symptoms. And also, you can get lung and diaphragm endometriosis, and you can get rib pain, and you can get shortness of breath. You can get a lot of groin pain with endometriosis. You can get a ton of bladder pain with endometriosis. And some of these things happen because a reactive measure your body takes to the disease itself is to spasm the pelvic floor and to spasm the bladder. But some of them happen because of the disease that's laid down.
0: Okay. So, I mean, I think a lot of us could sit here and go, oh God, well, I have... X, Y, or Z symptom. How do you know if you have endometriosis though? Maybe you're presenting with symptoms like, well, then what?
1: Yeah, well, then what is a huge problem (laughs) in the United States. One of the issues in endometriosis is it's hard to just go to your local gynecologist and have a conversation about endometriosis. Most doctors get about 20 minutes of endometriosis education in all of their training. And in that training, they're told to use the standard of care set by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And that standard says basically to try birth control, which we already discussed birth control may or may not help because it has nothing to do with your period. You could try a drug that shuts down your period, which we already said may or may not help and has huge side effects. You could try something called ablation surgery, which burns off the top of the disease and is not the gold standard in care, or you could try a hysterectomy, and we already decided that those things don't work either. So that's what you're going to get typically if you go to your local gynecologist. But to see an endometriosis specialist, then you're going to get a full evaluation on when did these symptoms start? How long have you had them? How do they impact your life? Like if you have IBS during your period that makes it so that you can't leave your house or makes it so that you know where every toilet is and every Starbucks is on every street corner, it's worth checking out. If you're a teen or young person who's missing school or you're somebody who's missing work because of your pain, it's worth checking out. If you're somebody who has not been able to fall pregnant, it's worth checking out because there is an infertility component with endometriosis. And then I also say it's important to be open and honest, even with yourself, about how your pain impacts your sex life. If you have pain at full penetration or when anything goes further back in the pelvis, it's worth thinking about endometriosis. Because we know endometriosis may lay down in an area called the rectovaginal septum. And that's the area behind the vagina, but in front of the rectum. And if you have pain at full penetration or when something is inserted deeply, then it's banging against that rectovaginal endometriosis. So if you have pain, usually at penetration, we think about the pelvic floor. But you know, a lot of people don't get that sex isn't supposed to hurt. I know I didn't. I didn't know until I was 35 and a doctor finally asked me if sex hurt. And I was like, yeah, it's not supposed to. And he was like, no, not supposed to hurt. You have to be really honest. Right. The other thing is if your back pain is worse during your period, it makes it's a
0: little suspicious as well. Interesting. So you go to your OB, you tell them the symptoms that you're having. What in your experience has been the treatment option, are they getting referred to an endometriosis specialist or is that something that women are having to ask for in particular? Like so how does that work? What are the barriers, I guess?
1: <laughs> what are the barriers? I mean, the barriers by far are the standard of care in the U S but here's what typically happens. You go to your, and you said it right there. You said, OB, you didn't say OBGYN. Right. In endometriosis, if you can't really know what you're doing and being delivering babies all night long, it has to be someone who's GYN first. Right. And so that's a, that's a huge debate way further than this podcast that we could have, whether it should be OBGYN or it should be OB and GYN.
0: Got it. Well, that's, they should really be totally helpful. separate
1: things. But yeah, the typical experience is you go to your OB And you say, I listen to this awesome podcast and I'm having all these symptoms. I have constipation and I have period cramping and I have back pain. And they say, great, let's put you on the pill.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And we just had a whole conversation that endometriosis has very little to do with the period. So the pill may or may not help you. At best, it's going to be a Band-Aid. So then you say, you know, I've tried the pill and it's not doing anything for me. And they say, well, we could give you this Orlissa. Orlissa has huge side effects, especially if we're going to talk about athletics, including bone loss and suicidal ideation. So you know enough to say, mm, I don't want that drug either. Then they say, oh, if I really have to, I could do a lap. I'll do this ablation surgery. So ablation, the, and now they're like, I'll do it with the da Vinci. The da Vinci means nothing. It's just the name of the robot right. that any surgeon uses. Right. So now they go in and they look and they see a little endometriosis and they burn it off at the top. That's what they mean by ablation surgery. What you really need is an excision surgeon that dives down at its root and takes the disease out at its root, so that there's no disease left behind. So the other thing is, Here's what really happens, and here's why the Endometriosis Summit and things like that are growing, is that crowdsourced information is becoming the norm in endometriosis, and patients are smart enough to put it into Google, or better yet, to put it into Facebook, and find something like Nancy's Nook for endometriosis, or or find a, a program where there's vetted surgeons and vetted specialists that can help them. Because of the way the standard of care is in the United States, it doesn't motivate a lot of gynecologists to want to study to be endometriosis specialists. It motivates them to want to prescribe a lot of medication. And so unfortunately, at this time, we estimate that there are about 200, 220 excision specialists in the United States. So getting care with endometriosis is hard, And so now you've had 10 years where you weren't taken seriously, and then you may have some more years where finding the right care is really hard.
0: Right. It seems like a whole new level of advocacy is needed from the people with the symptoms because getting accurate information is like really hard to know. I do not have any personal experience with this, but I do remember when I was early postpartum, just feeling like no one, no one gets me. No one knows what to do. I'm not sure what to do. And what is this that I'm experiencing? Now, again, totally different context, but similar feelings where you're just completely overwhelmed, right?
1: Completely overwhelmed. And actually, I... Have a subsection of my practice that works in in hernia, and that's how I found you to an extent. And I can say, as somebody who has endometriosis, when you follow the Instagrammers who can identify with what it feels like to be alone, to be operating in a medical system that doesn't necessarily support you, to not understand what's going on with your body, and to be a little traumatized by all of it. That's a
0: lot like what it feels like to have endometriosis. Right. And so you guys, if as coaches, if there's practitioners listening, and just if you are just a human and you have friends, like just being able to be a good listener and then say, hey, like this is someone I think I should put you in contact with and being able to refer. And that's, I mean, I just did that with Sally recently with somebody who I don't even know very well, but knew that. I at least know people who can help. Like That's how we all have to be each other's first line of defense and trustworthy resource because it's really hard to feel overwhelmed. And like you said, traumatized by just, you're in this vicious cycle of trying to get information. And then you're like, well, that wasn't accurate. Or I did this and that. Now I'm learning that wasn't even a good path or a good recommendation. And I trusted this person and I was misled. And like there's so many different emotions that are tied into trying to advocate and it's freaking exhausting
1: Yeah, the issue with trust and the endometriosis community is a delicate one It's very hard for many of the people with the disease pain started when they were in their early teens and developing as a person and pain started by them going to doctors and being told it was in their head or it's a food allergy, or don't worry, everybody suffers through this. And so by the time they're 20 and 30, you have a lot of very angry people, especially if you're in that support system. Maybe you're a coach who's seeing them, you know, once a week as they try to stay fit. Maybe you're a pelvic physical therapist. There's lots of ways to choose the words that you use wisely to be supportive.
0: Absolutely. And language. I talk about this so much in my coach's course, pregnancy and postpartum athleticism, because we just have to know how to better listen and then communicate in a way that's like, well, you should do this, or why didn't you know? Or like trying to collect what they what they've experienced and then direct gently and with empathy, but also trust because we know so many people have been misguided, misled. They followed this person on Instagram who's gonna do this or that. Like it's It's the Wild West out there and even more so, of course, in the endometriosis community.
1: Right. And I think um, the other thing is we have to be aware of overcoaching them because not every case is the same. And so you can't say to them, did you drink your turmeric latte and take all your digestive enzymes and then you'll be fine? Because the majority of them have tried everything for so long and they're so broken down that while they're trying to change the narrative in their own lives, we just sometimes have to stand next to them and support them as they try to do their thing.
0: Yes. Holding space, I think, can translate into so many different avenues of supporting people in every chapter of their life. And that's something as a coach... I have had to work very hard to learn how to do. Cause I always just like, I want to fix, you know, like I want to help. I want to do something about it. I want to take action and being able to rework my instinct and just like listen and hold space has been a very valuable lesson in my personal and professional development. Right. And
1: try to remember probably no one else in this person's life has tried to hold space
0: right? Because we're all so, a bunch of fixers, right? <laughs> right?
1: You can have a huge impact by doing that. And don't forget the doctor probably hasn't held, because you go to the doctor, they have 15 minutes and your symptoms take 15 minutes to list. And then they don't have an answer and they send you to someone else and someone else doesn't have an answer. And, you know, and, and I think holding space can have a huge impact in their lives.
0: Right. So, oh my gosh, I have so many questions that I could just ramble off right now. But let's start with this, since we were, we've talked about symptoms, we've talked about like the misguided things. What is the sort of best? And I say that with my invisible air quotes here. Course of action and game plan for a woman who or person who has endometriosis and is like, okay, then what do I do? So the golden of- question. Right.
1: The golden <laughs> question. One of the issues with endometriosis is that you can't diagnose endometriosis without pathology and you can't have pathology without surgery. Endometriosis therefore becomes a scary thing because it's not like you can say like, oh, there I see that. And imaging oftentimes is useless. So you can have a negative ultrasound and a negative MRI and still have horrible endometriosis. And it does become a risk where you have to trust the situation you are. Suspending that, here would be the ideal situation. You find an excision surgeon, for many people that's on Nancy's Nook or or through the internet. You find an amazing endometriosis excision surgeon. They explain to you that it's not just about surgery. That your pelvic floor matters, that the abdominal wall matters, that how you treat your bladder matters, that how you navigate with your central nervous system matters. And you go through maybe four to six weeks of treatment with somebody that can handle all those things. And then you go in, you have an excision surgery where they take the disease at its root. You have an amazing recovery, and everything goes smoothly, which, by the way, never happens. And then you go through um, physical therapy with the goal, hopefully, of getting you back to the things that you love to do. And we always hope some of the things that you love to do include athletics and being active a little bit. And the best part would be, in the ideal world, insurance would pay for all of that, (laughs) but it doesn't, just so you know.
0: Okay, so insurance doesn't cover... Like, what does insurance cover? (laughs) Anything or not?
1: You may find an excision surgeon that takes some insurance. Most excision surgeons are out of network providers. Got it. Because the code for excision does not reflect the amount of time, effort, and energy it takes to fully excise a lesion. Got it. So the code reflects ablation. And ablation, Mm. you could go in there on a stage four case and be back out in like 25 minutes. But for excision you could be in there 2 to 6 hours and yet it's the same code so a lot of doctors yeah a lot of doctors are out of network the other thing is most of the surgeries require a multidisciplinary team from a bowel surgeon because endometriosis just loves your appendix and your bowel but also you may need a urologist and you may need some other specialists in there. And insurance companies don't like to pay for multi-specialty surgeries.
0: Got it. Oh my gosh. It's like, it really is opening so many different avenues of conversation here
1: in the box. (laughs) but we can't close the lid again now. No, we we can't.
0: Right. But you guys, this is what, this is why I really wanted to talk to Sally because even if it's not something you're experiencing, There is somebody within your reach that, whether it's now or a year from now, that may communicate this to you, especially if you're a coach. So we have to be asking those kinds of questions. Uh, But
1: there are tons of you that are out there. And I know everybody that goes to an OB has gone, hey, I have this pain and has not been heard. So it's not such a different story. Than what's going on in endometriosis right now. So we think about one in 10 have endometriosis. You know, some of those who are not being heard definitely have this disease.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's talk about health and fitness a bit because obviously endometriosis extends beyond pain, it infiltrates into every avenue of our life. We talked about painful sex. So, how does this? How can this potentially impact health and fitness interests?
1: Let's think about a disease that you've had probably since your first period that you've pushed yourself until you can't exist anymore, and yet you still have to go out for a run every day or you still have to get on the elliptical every day. How good do you feel you would think about yourself if you were always in pain And what would be that mindset that exercise is a punishment versus something to embrace and make you feel good? And that's what I see. I see people, because endometriosis comes with a huge amount of bloating and sometimes hormonal issues, and sometimes these are the people whose weight changes five to 10 pounds around their period, and then they're spending the rest of the month trying to work it off. And there's a lot of punishing of the body in the gyms. And I don't like that. I want people to embrace who they are, wherever they are in life. So if a coach sees that, I think it's definitely worth holding space and having a conversation about it. The other thing is that you can't exercise away your endometriosis-induced back pain. Believe me, I tried. It just didn't happen you know, we have to know how to train somebody who wants to be physically active without pushing them so hard and also without telling them to go swim, do yoga or go walk because that's not everybody's jam. Right. Right. We have to sort of meet them, be able to meet somebody where they are. If it's somebody's real jam to start doing CrossFit while they're having endometriosis, you have rectovaginal endometriosis, you're going to leak all the time because it's just the mechanics of the pelvis. It's really hard to stabilize your pelvic floor. So it's a matter of, of working them maybe to the barrier, but not through the barrier and teaching them how to do the exercises they love to do without flaring them. So- If you're doing planks with someone and then they're coming back and showing you pictures of this huge endo belly they developed that night, we have to figure out a different way to do that plank for them.
0: Okay, I love all of this because in the coach course, this is exactly what I coach coaches to do, which is you have to communicate, you have to ask questions, and they have to feel safe communicating their symptoms and how they're feeling during pregnancy or postpartum or with any core pelvic health symptom that they are managing and being able to meet them where they are, and then being very versatile and adaptable to the, to the feedback they're giving you. And you have to watch and try to help troubleshoot from the outside in, whereas they're in their body and they have to help you understand what they're experiencing and then find a common place of being able to figure out how can we still do this or simulate it enough for it to make sense and really just manage or keep these symptoms at bay.
1: Right, so the other thing is And your coaches are pretty good with this. you know. Mentally, they have to be in a space where it's okay for them to adapt something and they don't have to keep up with the sports bra mini shorts in the gym unless they want to. If that's the goal for them, then that's their goal and that's where we help them move towards. But a lot of times, especially I feel like sometimes working in New York where the boutique workout is the thing, Mm -hmm. the boutique's, don't understand that it's okay to adapt. And I would rather see someone adapt a workout and still do it even with endometriosis than stop working out completely. For many during their period, they're not going to be able to work out. We don't say to them, oh, come on, you're a wuss. You know, everybody gets a period. These aren't periods like you could understand. This is like as if they had been cut open and their insides are ripping. So we have to be very sensitive that it's not for them. You may not want to do core work during the period. You may have to find something else. You know, breathing is never something we should um, shy away from. We have to meet the person where they are. I once had a coach tell me I was a competitive swimmer in college. And the coach told me that if I took off time every time I had my period, Then that would be 12 days a year I missed for training. And that was two weeks. And look at what I was doing to my future. And that's such a ridiculous thing. Now that I look back, I'm like, okay, but I'm not damaging myself by working out during my period. But I wasn't helping myself because all that happens is the body compensates and you start to use muscles that you shouldn't be using.
0: Right. So then it's not just the symptoms that are kicking on. It's potentially like injuring in another way because of all the compensations. Right. Do you see that a lot in your practice?
1: Yeah. I actually have a huge part of my practice devoted to hernia because there are so many inguinal and femoral hernias within the endometriosis population. And we don't exactly know why they're there. There's a couple different theories. So one of the theories, is and this is my theory is that when you have endometriosis, your insides are glued together. And if you cut somebody open that has endometriosis that isn't diagnosed, you can see that everything is plastered together with like saran wrap like bands. And obviously, that's not the way the pelvis should look. So, mm. but that person has still gone to school every day, done everything they needed to do, gone to the gym, taking care of their children, done whatever they. But and push themselves no matter what. And so they get these little areas where um, nerve compressions lodge themselves onto the inguinal and femoral nerves. And so you have to be aware that the pelvis is not functioning inside in a way you can't see. And that pushing sometimes may cause such a competition that something rips or pops.
0: Interesting. So that, okay, well, that's also really good to know because I think a lot of times we just want to say, well, you just have pressure management issues or you just lift too heavy or you do all these things. But knowing that hernias and endometriosis are very common and like- Well,
1: think about if your um, uterus was tied with saran wrap to the back of your sacrum and then to your bladder, how would you manage that pressure? Right. And so that's a lot of times what the endometriosis patients are dealing with. And it it and then the other thing is we always need a coach after or after surgery because now the pressure has totally changed. Your pelvis has no idea what to do in time and space.
0: Right. So aside from hernias, what are some of the other like pelvic or do you see a lot of people that are also managing like a lot of incontinence or prolapse, diastasis? Like what other what's we the word? see a
1: lot of people who <laughs> manage a lot of different bladder related issues, whether Mm -hmm. it's urgency or it's incontinence, because I think it's approximately 60% of people with endometriosis also have a bladder inflammatory condition as well, painful bladder syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so a lot, and that also causes lower belly pain. So a lot of times people think it's only endometriosis, Or they go and they remove the uterus, but it's bladder driven. So it has nothing to to do with that. Right. And we get a lot of constipation. So it's not a statistic. I've not done a study on it, but I see a lot of prolapse in my athletes who have endometriosis because they're constipated and they can't get the stool out. They have pressure management issues because, hey, that's life and they have adhesions. The disease is undiagnosed, and yet they have this brain that tells them they have to keep going forward at a million miles an hour. And lo and behold, they get a little bit of prolapse. Yeah. Got it.
0: Got it. This is all very helpful for us to know, just like things to be really aware of with our body and then seek out more information.
1: I also want to say that we see some diastasis in people with endometriosis because they've had repetitive surgeries. Right. So And that you're going through the belly button and through the belly button and through the belly button and through the belly button. The belly button. So oftentimes people can't stabilize. So coaches that really work to bring that stabilization back to the abdominal, it's the same thing. You can't close the gap, but you can teach somebody how to stabilize would prevent a lot of issues within that population. And then... If somebody's gone through years and years and years of medical management of endometriosis because of mm-hmm. the drugs that are involved in that, we see bone loss. Interesting. Yeah. And so it's important to understand. So, even actually, it's funny because my mom's in her 70s and had spent years on the drugs to manage endometriosis because, of course, there's a sevenfold increased chance of having endometriosis if your mother has it. So anyway, she has to be careful now about thoracic extension when she works out because she was on the drugs that cause bone loss and then she had a hysterectomy early. So if people have had a hysterectomy for endometriosis, even though it doesn't treat endometriosis, these are people who are at high risk for bone loss. So you have to think about, are those the patients that should be on the bike to warm up or should they be on a treadmill to warm up? Are those, the people, yeah, how much extension should they be doing? Should you, if you're somebody who does grade five manipulations, should you be doing them? Like, how much feedback can we give their bones and strengthen their hips and things like that? You know, that's very important for somebody who's in the fitness world with endometriosis.
0: Right. And that's something as coaches, we could probably be asking the the pelvic physical therapists that they're working with just to get a little bit more context and direction because we want to feel like we're doing the right thing and helping. But knowing that you guys, there's so much beauty and collaboration, like that's a really great avenue for us too, to know, just have more context around. Yeah, definitely. So what and we've obviously talked so much about the physical considerations here. What are some of the mindset and mental health considerations that you see come up?
1: I actually see a lot of that athlete's brain that push yourself until you can't move. I think that's a little regional because of where I Mm -hmm. I work in New York. Everybody has that mindset anyway. Right. But you're dealing with a population who's been minimized, who's sublimated their pain because medicine hasn't listened to them, And who, when they do finally want to speak up, is gaslit by most of society that their pain doesn't exist. And then if they really want to get care, care is oftentimes not covered to the extent that they need it because insurance and the, you know, so it's a very frustrating, we see a lot of frustration. And I learned this weekend at the endometriosis summit, we see a lot of anger. So I think because I'm not such an angry person, I didn't ever notice that until we have a town meeting and um, patients can stand up and say whatever they want. And there was a theme of anger that no one is accountable for the eight to 10 years that people are minimized. And so you'll see that. And you see medical trauma. Myself, I've been in the past two years, I've been hospitalized For more than three weeks. And that's just two years. And I've had this disease longer than two years.
0: Right. Absolutely. And so how can we, like as speaking to coaches anyway, like how can we best support?
1: Hold space. And you have to teach the person to be there for themselves, which is our job as coaches anyway. Right. And I think telling somebody that it's okay not to Force themselves through it every minute of their lives, you may be the first person that ever said that to them.
0: Right. yeah, getting giving yourself that permission and then getting that permission from somebody that you know you look to for guidance is can be a really affirming experience for any symptom and experience that somebody is is really struggling with, and we just got to keep that in mind.
1: I think also providing them with resources. Just like you said that people need to all be working together, but providing them with resources that can make a difference in their lives. So hold your space, but then say to them, hey, maybe you need to go to Nancy's Nook on Facebook and learn a little bit about endometriosis, or there are events you can attend, there are Instagrams you can follow, you know, because for a lot of people... Nobody has ever heard of it. The other thing that I really like that everybody could do for the month of March, because we are here to celebrate Endometriosis Awareness Month, you can go to nursesknowendo.com. So that's K-N-O-W, nursesknowendo.com. On the theory that most people go to the school nurse when they're in pain, and if the school nurse had known more about endometriosis, then diagnosis wouldn't be eight to 10 years delayed and people wouldn't be minimized and wouldn't be traumatized. And so if you go to nursesknowendo.com, they will give an endometriosis education kit to any school nurse that you name. That's really awesome. Name a nurse, get a kit. And so for the coaches, I wonder if a lot of you who want to learn more about endometriosis, the program is run through something called endowhat.org. But if you go to nurses, no endo, I bet you could probably get the kit yourself too. I don't know that. Don't, don't, you know, go up and say Sally says, but I wonder if you could do that as well.
0: Right. And for any person who feels like, oh my gosh, this is, this is me you're talking about. And I didn't know this was me. What is step one? Lord, is there number one resource that you're like, go here?
1: I really feel like Nancy's Nook on Facebook for now is the number one resource. It's an educational group. It's not a support group. So you'll have to spend two weeks reading the files before she lets you into the main group, but you could learn a lot. I also, you know, obviously the endometriosis summit is a great thing to follow. We have Facebook lives that are educational. Now we do them once a month, but leading up to the summit, we have them once a week. And you'll see that the crowdsource information, unfortunately, is the way to go with endometriosis rather than your doctor, which I know is so sad, but it's the way that it is right now.
0: Right. So we're just, I guess, in the early trenches of trying to get better information out there. And okay. I'm so, <laughs> so grateful that you are a leading voice in this and that you yeah. took the time to chat with us.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: And tell us where we can find more about you
1: where you can find more about me. Well, I'm just everywhere. (laughs) You can um, follow me at DrSally, S-A-L-L-I-E-P-T on Instagram. I'm also Sally Sorrell on Facebook and we're at Endometriosis Summit on Facebook and Instagram as well. And you can reach me www.salliesorrell.com.
0: Well, thank you so much for giving us your time. And you guys, I hope you enjoyed this really informative interview. I know I learned a lot and I'm so grateful for the opportunities to connect with people that are doing good work in complimentary capacities. So thank you so much for giving us your time. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure you head over to my website, com and find my free and paid resources and make sure to connect with me on Instagram at brianna.battles. Talk to you soon.